0: In their problems to me for as long as I can remember. I have one of those faces that just says, tell me what's going on. And now I have one of those podcasts that says, Go ahead, tell me what's going on. Welcome to Mess in Progress. Hey guys, and welcome to Mess in Progress with myself Gina Briona, my lovely co-host slash everything person, Katherine. G Mendoza. Catherine, say hi to the people. What up, people? <laughs> That was less than enthusiastic, but I understand that you had just drank some water. You needed some time. I'm
1: noticing every single time you do the intro, I am taking a, like, sip of water. I'm like a, like a singer.
0: Yeah. 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 You're like,
1: yeah. Oh. <laughs> me, 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 me. I, I must lubricate my throat. That's
0: exactly how I feel. Um, oh, my goodness gracious. I'm tired today. I'm about to fist fight this baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to fist fight this baby today, girl. Wow, he is on another level today. He was on really? another level. Like I understand now. Like in the hospital, they tell you all the time. They're like, "Hey, don't shake the baby." Like all the time. Like don't shake the baby. Like a million times they tell you that, and you're like, "I'm not. I'm not a psycho. Why are you? T- I'm not gonna shake my baby." And then you get that. Now you ball, get it. And you're like, "Yeah, I'm gonna fist fight this baby." I want to
1: shake a baby. <laughs>
0: I you lucky they told me don't shake you at the hospital
1: but you know what's crazy how like that's just human instinct right because it's um it's kind of like a uh understanding that you know he doesn't fully understand language yeah. and then you know that like there's no other way to like com- like get to him yeah. in having him understand except for physical touch so shaking is just natural but that is how you know the creator of human beings was just like finding ways to be um a little bit of a dickhead you know yeah. what I mean they're like I'm why gonna
0: make it so that you can't talk why couldn't you just make these motherfuckers talk <laughs> if you could talk I would be like yo my man why but you don't take this nap I
1: have a question you can't shake the baby but can you shake the baby's arm
0: I think when they get older Like, not like a little baby baby, because one, it won't matter. And babies are dumb strong, and they'll whip their arm out and end up punching you in the face. Like, babies are – his legs are crazy strong. His arms are crazy strong. He's head-butted me before. I think I have a little MMA fighter on my hand. (laughs) He is is ready to fight. He is ready to fight, bruh. Um, Oh, no. But, yeah, today was just one of those days where it was like, he would not go down for his nap, and I'm trying to reason with him. I'm like, yo, my man crying too much right now. The other day <laughs> I had him and he was, he was like crying real loud. I took him from my husband and I was like, yo, what you not going to do is cry in my face. And he stopped and like looked at me like, oh, uh-oh.
1: He was like, I don't like your tone, but I, like I understood.
0: Her, but I will respect what you have said to me.
1: My favorite is your um, videos of him and the pictures that he's always like pondering oh. like in your face with the fist under his chin, kind of like
0: He's he's like, "Hmm, should I cry? Should I poop? I don't know. He's literally
1: thinking about what he should do to torment you. Like he takes a moment. His face is literally thinking like
0: being nice to mommy. Mm. No. No. It's so much more fun when she's frustrated. (laughs) It's
1: hilarious. I mean I I can't I can only imagine, but I do feel like it's very interesting when you think about, like, babies and how they communicate. Because I feel like that's him communicating, right? Even that pose. Yeah. He's. I think he's aware of, like, cause that that stare down, right?
0: Oh, yeah. When he's hungry, he literally goes. Mm. Like, he's like, uh, hello, food? I need to eat through my mouth. Please make food go in the mouth. Thank you.
1: It also makes you wonder, like, is life better because? For babies because they can't talk you know what i mean so they get to kind of be assholes in ways that once you can talk you can't be anymore
0: you know what i think is better maybe not that they can't talk but that they can't understand because mm-hmm. if they could understand then they would hear you know my, ba- my baby's first word will be a cuss word if he understood half the things that i say because i would get so frustrated but they understand emotion they understand the feeling like he can definitely Tell when I'm frustrated because that oh, just yeah. him even more, and then he just cries louder. He's like, "Oh, you frustrated? You about to see frustrated?" And he just <laughs> cries louder and louder and louder. And to some extent, it does make me laugh because he looks so funny when he cries. I'm sorry, but he he like turtles his neck up and like his neck gets super skinny, and he's got a big old melon head, and he just starts going. He's just so dramatic. His lip quivers. He's like,
1: Ooh. "Do you remember that show, Bobby's World?" Yes. That's what I feel like he's going to look like as a toddler. Probably. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because of the thin neck, but yeah. then the really round head. He's, he's going to look like Bobby. You need to get him a little bike.
0: You give him a little bike and do uh, Jaden's World. And then <laughs> only old heads like us are going to get it. <laughs> Jaden's World. Only the old heads going to get it.
1: That's an adorable um, Halloween 2021 costume, though. Think about that. he's gonna be perfect age you get the little jumper
0: perfect age because he can't dispute his costume he can't be like i don't want to do this i'm like this is what you're putting on
1: you see but that's so weird because it's like i i saw this person tweet something the other day that said i realized this year i get to dress up a baby and a dog um and i'm living my dream something like that and i just thought like that's weird Like, to me, it's a little weird that your dream is to dress up a baby and a dog. Like, it's weird to me. I get it. It's fun. But at the same time, I think some parents take it too serious that, like, how do I say this? When the kid does get a deciding age, they try to, like, negotiate and they try to be like, I want to convince you. And you're just like, they're not, they didn't exist to make you, like, what you want, happy. Does that make sense?
0: So many parents do that. Yeah, totally. So many parents do that where they try to either um, force a certain kind of relationship with their kid or they try to force those decisions. Like, oh, even when it comes down to like sports, like, oh, we're a Yankees family, so you better like the Yankees. It's like, well, what if you don't want to like the Yankees? Like, it's like, right. like <laughs> I
1: mean, I feel like, I feel like that, especially with like losing teeth.
0: Yes, yes. you
1: know what I mean? At least winning teams. I think it's human beings when you're a fan of a winning team um As human beings, you grow up and then you see oh they always win. You kind of like them for that, right? Yeah. But when they're constantly losing, team, yes, you're teaching your child to be humble. But at the same time, <laughs> disappointment is so like normal to them. You've normalized it. You've normalized that winning it doesn't happen often. No,
0: yeah. Well, I think that's that's one of those kids that's going to be taught about integrity. This is about integrity of the team. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, but also you should probably push him towards winning is good. Winning. Yeah. <laughs> go I
1: mean,
0: win. yeah. And or- hardships and failures and stuff. You want them to understand that that's part of the winning. But how do you justify a team that consistently sucks that you support? Where it's like, I don't know. Uh, mind you, I'm not a sports person. Not a sports person at all. I'm the wrong person to talk about Me sports. Me too. I'm I'm not a sports person at all. In fact, I used to find it completely annoying that guys were so into sports until I started training MMA and then I got into like the UFC stuff. But then I, I sort of got it. I was like, oh, I see. When you know about the sport, you care about it. And that's where the love and the, you know, passion comes in. Because every guy that I know that likes sports has played that sport. Yeah. Like, totally. came, you know, into that sport. And so it's never like, oh, I like hockey but i never played hockey before no if you you know the game or you learn the game or there's some sort of bonding factor like oh my dad or my brothers we would watch this right or you're
1: just a fan fan of sports because you started in one sport and then you start like liking other sports as well
0: a lot of mexican families with soccer like even my ex's family like they all loved soccer it was a cultural thing so like they all loved soccer they had to watch and support mexico's teams and everything so it was like yeah, I get it. It's a family thing. It's a bonding thing that you guys do. And it's a cultural thing, you know? Yeah. No, I get it. I get it, I but g- it really just make me so, like, bleh.
1: But you see, that's the thing, like, again, because it's, like, there is that aspect of, like, the if you grow up with the losing team, like, kind of family, I think that that's when people just make it about nostalgia and they just talk about, like, I, I love that team because your grandfather loved that team. You know what I mean? They, they, when they, they almost
0: a the one win that team had forever. Right. Right. You know, like nope, yeah. Back in 87. And you're like, that was dumb long ago. <laughs> Why <laughs> you talk about that now? Why are you bring that up? <laughs> I feel like that,
1: but I feel like you can be like that about a lot of things, right? That's just organized sports. Right. So like, I think that I'm trying to think of something in my family that we're like that about Selena. In my personal family, we're like that about it. Mariah, Um, you know what I mean. Like, if my niece didn't like Mariah, we would be slightly disappointed. I'm not gonna
0: lie. I'm gonna tell you right now. Somebody said made a disparaging comment on my TikTok about Mariah the other day, and I really, I was like, I'm gonna report this comment. Like, (laughs) I really. I was there with So You were doing the Jaden, oh the hand, of the chin. How petty do I want to be right now? <laughs> All right, it's time for our guest. We're gonna bring in our guest now. Um, I love this guy. I absolutely. I had the honor of working with him when I did the Connors. Um, uh, our guest today is Michael Fishman, aka DJ from Roseanne, from the Connors. Uh, he's he's a wonderful human being, and I can't wait for y'all to meet him. Let me let me let him in. Hi let me see how do I do this now (laughs) let me figure out how to do this because technology technology is great oh look I did a thing that adults do when they know what they're doing all right all right there we go there we go hey oh my god we're here okay yes ladies and gentlemen michael fishman everybody go crazy zoom applause. hi Hi. <laughs> How are you? How are, good. You? are things? Everything's good? You look yeah, good? Yeah,
2: everything's good. How's life? How's the baby? How's everything? And then
0: Oh, everything's wonderful. Honestly, I was just telling Catherine, I'm gonna fist fight this baby today. It's one of those days <laughs> where this, this this baby definitely was asking for it today. By the way, it's my uh, co-host Catherine. Catherine, this is Michael Fishman.
1: Hi, hey, nice Catherine. to meet
0: you. Uh Catherine's a wonderful friend of mine. She's she's my home girl and the co-host and producer of the podcast. And Michael, I was lucky enough to work with him on The Connors, like I just said before. And he is so wonderful. We're gonna start off with, we do three rapid fire questions. Bring Um, it. (laughs) And so uh, you can answer them in whatever importance you see fit, it's fine. So we'll do three rapid fire questions. First one, where are you from? Second one, what is your zodiac sign? And third one, as a child actor, what started your career?
2: Uh, so where am I from? I was born in Long Beach, California, and I've lived here most of my life. Um, and then Zodiac sign, I'm right on the cusp of Libra and Scorpio. So it depends on what people think, or depending on how they line up their signs and how many, uh, how deep they are into astrology. Sometimes I get one or the other, Okay. which at times I, I hear people go, Oh, well, that totally makes sense. And then I'm like, wait, but the other side, so <laughs> like, they don't necessarily go right together all the time but um but which one do you consider yourself you know I grew up thinking I was a Libra for years and years and years and I I really do think I'm like right on the line so I really feel like I kind of fit both I think it
0: okay
2: my my life kind of fits a whole host of things so I think um I think you you take the roles you need to right in on screen and off
0: yeah absolutely yeah it's funny that you said that because as soon as you said Libra, I went, that makes sense.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try to balance everything. I definitely am um, focused on kind of like honor and justice and um, trying to keep things balanced, making sure people are comfortable when they come to work with me. I'm
0: so glad you said that because I have to tell the story of the first time that I met you on set. Okay, so I'm on set of the Connors. I'm already like excited and nervous, and I'm looking at the couch that I grew up, looking at and i'm sitting there and i'm tired i had taken a red eye flight so i was exhausted and i'm sitting at the table and this guy comes up to me and he's like hey my name is michael if you need anything on set let me know let me know if you have any questions i want to make sure you're comfortable and i'm like so sleepy i'm like who is talking to me right now and i look up and i'm like in my head i go oh my god that's dj Like, in my head, I went, that's DJ. And I I just froze for a minute. And I I didn't know if he could see buffering going on in my brain. I was like, Gina, find words. Find words. Please find words. And I was like, thank you so much. And he was just the nicest. I never had anybody be that humble on set before. So I was just immediately, I was like, this guy is amazing. And you just became an amazing human being. And then the second uh, funny Michael story that I have, I think it was the second day on set. Uh, we were standing by the, I don't know if you remember this, we were standing by uh, craft services where the food was and everything, and somebody came by and I was asking a question about where I needed to go to get the schedule or whatever, and said, oh, go by the chicken head room. And I froze. And like, what? What'd you just call me? And all I said, Michael turns around and goes, Gina, no, it wasn't this or <laughs> <I mean>, that. <laughs>
2: well, I started laughing because you and I had the moment where we're like, they really just... <laughs> <Did> someone just <laughs> say chicken head? <laughs> and then... Nobody else seemed to be um, nobody knew the a a little socially aware of what goes on and how this works. <laughs> there was a like mask that our AD department had pasted on the door to differentiate to make it easy to find their office. Oh. So when they started saying it, you know, I just remember we're in crap service and like we're both getting stuff and somebody it <laughs> Gina goes, What? And I turned around, I was like, I was like they don't get it. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> they don't they have no idea what
0: that word is. <laughs> they have no idea what chicken is. I was so, and it, what thrilled me was like, oh my God, it's like the hood in me saw the hood in you. And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I have a question. Why is it a chicken? Like, why
1: the
2: chicken? You know what? They found the mask on set. It was in the prop department. They thought it was funny. They, but again, I think, if you grow up in certain areas and you spend time in certain areas, you totally know what that means. <laughs> but for other people, I mean it, it kind of gets into that whole thing of, of privilege and life experience and all these things, right? What people think certain things mean or what they mean in some areas or some context is totally different in others. And that was just one of those moments, yeah, like Gina said, we were both like Oh God. <laughs> yeah. You guys could know. Yeah.
1: They could have said chicken mask. They could have said anything. The phrasing of head. It's just using that one word.
0: <laughs> it was like the perfect storm of things. Like the way they phrased it, my yeah. reaction, and then him jumping on it as quick as he did. <laughs> it was so amazing. I was like, oh, you easily became like one of my favorite human beings just in that moment because I was like, oh my god. Not only is he sweet, but he like gets it. Like he's, he's. I was doing like, like some things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you could tell that about somebody speaking of being on set and your iconic role as DJ, uh, what was it like landing uh, like a primetime sitcom role at such a young age? Like, what was it like for you? That must've been insane.
2: Well, it's interesting. My family kind of came into this from outside the business. So I, I don't have any like family connection. Like most people kind of jump into this and my sister wanted to earn money for college. And we knew somebody who had done commercials, and so she as a really young kid, I'm talking like four and six years old, was like, I wanna earn money for college. She's one of those people who plans her whole life. And I very much am the same way in this way now, is you know, I would go with her to auditions when she first started and I'm like, all right, I'd like to try this too. Like, let's give it a go. And my parents were adamant, because they both worked full-time, that I wasn't gonna do anything long-term So they wouldn't let us audition for anything but commercials. And in 1988, this audition for the show came up and my parents said no. And the agent said, well, he'll never get it because they want somebody with experience, but he just started. Um, He's only been on a few auditions. It'd be a great experience for him, take him. And I walked into uh, CBS Radford and I walked up the stairs and I met the receptionist who I spent the whole time talking to, whose name was Jeff Thomas, who's a friend to this day. Oh. And I went in, did the audition, came out and started asking my parents. So when, when do they call me about my job? And my Aww. parents were mortified
0: <laughs> because
2: they're like, you know, working full time, they can rearrange their schedule for a day or two to shoot a commercial, but they didn't want anything long-term. But that started a process, actually, the audition process for Roseanne was like seven auditions spanning six months. It was a huge national, you know, over 10,000 people auditioning for the role because what we didn't know at the time was it wasn't for a pilot. They had already shot a pilot and I wasn't in the pilot. They were replacing the boy who played the part in the pilot. So it was straight to series, straight to 13 episodes, like... Yeah. You're, you're in the deep end. So the second audition, I actually met Roseanne. Oh, wow. And she and I hit it off right away. And from that point on, we kind of had this special relationship and she kind of fought for me. And, you know, it was down to three of us for the better part of four months. And, you know, the deal in our house was my parents were like, you can't ask me every day about this job. And every Friday they would call the agent and for months we didn't hear anything. And they would call the agent and say, can we tell him he didn't get it? And, and I just remember these phone calls as a kid, right? And the agent's like, well, no, you can't tell him that yet because he's still in the running. And right. when I say we did everything you could do wrong, but, you know, um, everything lines up the way it's supposed to. Yeah. Like we, we My mom, one time they said, well, you know, the third or fourth callback is going to be on a Thursday. And My mom's like, well, I guess you didn't get it because I, I can't get out of doing nursing clinical because she was a nursing professor and they're like oh we'll move it to friday and you know the last audition after months of not hearing anything was on a date we were supposed to be in virginia visiting my mom's family and wow they're like my mom goes well i guess you didn't get it and they're like well if you'll stay in town we'll fly you to virginia overnight to go back to virginia and i'll never forget because i was like i just knew being a kid, I don't know. You just, sometimes you just know about certain things. And I, at that point I was like trying to sweeten the pot with my dad. I was like, okay. I said, so when I get my job, can I buy this huge GI Joe airplane as like a summer? <laughs> and my dad's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. You were so spending that- your <laughs> money before you needed it. <laughs> <laughs> right. As a kid, right. You're just like trying to, trying to figure it out. I remember we called my mom and my mom goes, so is he heartbroken? And my dad's like, no, we're going to have to figure this out because not only did he get the part, but they're guaranteed 13 episodes. So this isn't a short-term thing. This is, you know, short-term turned into nine years. Now, you know, plus three. So. Wow.
1: Wow. And how old are you again during this um, season one?
2: I was five, almost six.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I did read somewhere that um, that, process, that second interview with Roseanne, it was based off a joke. Yeah. Yeah, that she asked you to tell her a joke, you said a joke, and she liked it.
2: Yeah, because what had happened, and, and again, it sounds foreign even now to people, but what would happen is these kids would come in, and they were so used to performing, right? But only the script. And she would say, hey, tell me a joke. And they'd all freeze, or they would say things to her like, well, I'm not prepared for that. Oh, and right. and you know being a, a stand-up you either you're you're ready all the time really and and you're either ready right. or you're not yeah and she I was like okay sure this is what we do at home yeah I'll tell a joke like no problem and we hit it off and and it was wonderful
1: oh, it's God. so it, it's so interesting because I think about that banter even in the show right like especially the younger years I feel like that was very much the tone of the humor with the children because sometimes you guys didn't have a lot of lines, but it was one like really pivotal line where it was comedy. But yeah, it was a zinger. It was like they were in the entire scene, but then it was thrown to you kind of like a ball. You would catch it and then, but it still stood, right? So I could see that being the reason because you couldn't have a kid freeze. You had to have them be really timely and also seem like a family that had that humor.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's a dynamic that you don't see enough on television. Now I think sometimes it's a bit over You know, one of the things that happens in families all the time, and we all know this is you're not supposed to be listening, but you are listening the whole time. And then somebody goes, Hey, I didn't understand why that happened. And the kid goes, well, that's because so-and-so did such and such with so-and-so that's why they're not together anymore. And everybody goes, <laughs> like, oops, we shouldn't have had this conversation. Right. Or, you know, yeah. and then you're like, "Uh Oh, or, my favorite when I'm writing is to write scenes where you're trying to have the conversation in front of kids without them understanding, but yeah. inherently they always get it because that's what really happens. Yeah.
0: I love seeing yeah. those scenes too because I'm always like, yeah, kids always understand that. Why do parents think they're getting away with anything? Like, right. Just, <laughs> just say it in front of the kids.
1: We're well, like, you see, that's what I actually like about the show because I was really young when it came out, right? and. I mean, I feel like when I remember watching it, it was one of the only shows where even the banter between the kid and the parent mm-hmm. felt very familiar to me because that is how my mom would talk to us. You know right. what I mean? Like, if you were listening, she wouldn't necessarily reprimand me, but there was like a little zinger that would come after it, you know? But at the same time, it was like, your kid is smart. So, yeah. what? you know what I mean? Like, I felt yeah. like that was a relatability that was in the show, and you could tell now that I look back, um, there was something that was aware in you guys as kids. Like there wasn't awareness. These, like you said, it wasn't an, I'm a trained actor necessarily. It was an aware child who was very yeah. like awake. I would say it like that.
0: You were so young when you started on that show. And because of the tone of the show, because the tone of the show was pretty much about this, like I would say almost lower middle-class family, if not like kind of broke family. Yeah. Oh yeah. And did that affect you as a kid, like being part of that narrative? Was that different from your life? Did you take life lessons from that narrative where it taught you some different perspective or different view on the world?
2: Well, for me, I, I've always found that to be, for me, it's the most relatable narrative because I think everybody struggles. And yeah. that's the thing about families. You, you never have enough money. You never have enough time. There's always an issue uh, for most of us when you start getting ahead in life is really when stuff goes wrong. And, you know, it's that time where you're like, okay, I saved up and we're going to go do this. Oh, but the car engine just broke or the refrigerator died or, you know, the washer and dryer isn't working. And I grew up in a house where it was a good size house. But really early on, my two cousins came to live with us. So we went overnight. um, Their mom passed away and we went from two to four overnight and then we were sharing rooms and doing all this stuff so I never really had my own room so I think that was a good perspective based and then you know my dad ran his own business and my mom was a teacher so nobody was wealthy you know we were kind of middle class but I think there were lots of times where things were were good and there were lots of times when things were bad and I think that's how most of us grow up and I, I don't think you realize the times that you're really, really horribly struggling when you're young until you get a little older. And you're like, oh, I see what you guys did at, at that point. I see how you kind of made it through that. Mm-hmm. And then as, as a young adult, when the show ended, um, I kind of bounced around. And I, you know, I lived in downtown LA and I, I lived in Compton and Linwood and, and areas that probably people wouldn't have perceived me to live in. And then I kind of really had to work my way back in this direction. So the beautiful benefit I think I had is I I got to experience fame and success, but I never got so much that I I had a free pass at anything. And I never got wealthy, right? I worked at a time before kids made a lot of money and, you know, a, a bad investment here and a bad investment there. You know, my parents tried to do everything they could, but that wasn't their mindset. You know, and then you add in, you know, (laughs) you you get sued and you're like, I'm a kid. I don't know anything about this. Like, what are you supposed to do? But it goes so much faster, I think, than people realize. Also, money is such a weird thing. The perception is, hey, you make a lot, therefore. But, you know, as an actor, right, you start with an agent, which is somewhere between 10 and depending on some of these agencies now, 15 or 20%, which is crazy. Then you add in if anybody has a manager, that could be another 10 to 15%. If you have to have a lawyer for something, then there's another 4 or 5%. We haven't started talking about taxes yet. And there's all the right, like you turn around and 60, 70, 80% of it goes out the door. And it also in this business, you know, I mean, as you start being really successful, you know, or like, you know, you've done your tours lately, Gina, and people start talking about, well, are you going to have a PR team? And are you going to have, you know, who's doing the promotion and who's nice. doing this portion of promotion? The next thing you look up and you're like, these people are how much I just spent.
0: Oh. Right. And,
2: and, fast.
1: and now it's like, now you have to have a social media team and that's a whole different other level that wasn't, you know, there 20, 30 years ago. So it's like, you have, you have to pay people do think, um, don't think of like the payout. Like yeah. your money is, basically the half of that even even more so sometimes but um when you guys were in conversation the first conversation that you had about the reboot right because that was I think that the reboot was during the height of reboots a few years back like a lot of shows were getting those reboots so like it was when when they announced that how was that for you like was it not only exciting but like did you think about the fact that the show had ended with them um you know kind of like in a story, and then there was also the, the change of class at the end of the last few seasons. Like they really went in a different direction at the end of the original series, right? How did you coming back think about a um, grown DJ? Like what you wanted to approach him as? Cause it's kind of like coming into an, the same person, but a different place in their life. What was that like for you?
2: Well, it's a complex thing. So the first part is, you know, the very end of the original show, changed in tone but we were trying to say a lot of the the same things about class and and social structures and we also were doing it within a framework of like john goodman wasn't under contract so he wasn't there a lot of the time we had a lot of shifting things happening because we didn't know if we were coming back for that ninth year uh and essentially most of the kids were gone and i was the one that was left it was an interesting year i mean i think some of those episodes have very interesting tones to them. The, the Rosambo one, which is probably not the one people love the most, but you know, somebody was pretty forward thinking cause we were talking about the Taliban in 1997. I mean, some of that stuff, you look back and you go, oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. But after the show, you know, I, I did a lot of production work. I worked on the crew side of things and I worked on a lot of stuff with Roseanne through the years. A lot of times people brought me in or she brought me in for projects where They needed somebody that they couldn't get a portion built or made or, or functioned. And that's kind of the role I came into. And then a lot of times I was a person who could talk to her and, and really was bold enough to speak my mind. So it was one of those things where we had had conversations for, you know, 15 years about where did we think these characters would be? And it's something we had always talked about, you know, DJ growing up and marrying Gina and, um, Yeah, Gina. (laughs) The other Gina. Yeah, Uh, Williams. And so it's one of those things where I had a pretty good idea of where we were headed. We just didn't think it would happen that soon. And then the reboot kind of thing started to happen, and we were still in the very early portions of that. But what happened was John Goodman went on the talk with Sarah Gilbert and said that he would come back. And within two months, we were – Hey, would you do this? And I had just really started moving back acting wise and making traction. And, you know, that's a risk. It's a risk going back to a character when people have seen you that way for such a long time. Yeah. And it's interesting. Everybody else left as an adult. So their characters were defined, you know, whether it be, you know, Becky, Darlene, you know, all of those characters are defined. DJ's character had the most growth and change because he was the youngest when we left. So trying to bring in all of these elements at the same time and the conversations I had with Roseanne and the conversation I had with the executives were very different from he kind of has PTSD, he's ex-military, he's in this interracial relationship, he's currently bounced out of the military essentially and he's raising his daughter, but that also means he doesn't have his spouse with him like these are very complex things so trying to find that line of maintaining his kindness and his good heart and his kind of innocence and playfulness that dj always had but then being burdened a little bit by not fitting and and having seen maybe one or two things that you never should have seen or wanted to see and then worrying about your partner being away it's a much more complex character and you know We've done bits and pieces of his story um, and we've done bits and pieces that didn't make it on air because they were the B or C story in an episode and based on time. And it's heartbreaking for me because I think there's so much there. And I think we, we speak for a part of our audience and for a group in society that doesn't get a lot of representation. Right. And it's really hard for me because I write stuff that is usually from diverse perspectives and, and, from an inclusive place i mean um i i'm a partner in a minority-owned uh production company and then i'm the major partner in another production company and both of them have the word inclusive in the name i mean it's not something we just kind of give lip service this is what we do
0: yeah
2: so i've pitched all these stories you know and like we the first year the Connors, we did an episode where the whole family goes to a black church but that episode kind of got readjusted after the fact to be more about Dan and Becky and kind of Dan dealing with his own issues around Roseanne's passing. Mm -hmm. So we lost some of that message. And it's hard for me because I think where we are in the world socially, DJ's got a lot to offer and and we have a lot we could cover on our show because all of the situation, we're essentially living through what I consider to be the next step of the civil rights movement that never really got to be finished. Mm -hmm. And so you add in all the military stuff, you add in all the conflicts around the world, you add in what it's like to have a partner who's not home. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there's a mountain of stuff to cover and, you know, I feel like I'm kind of well suited for that with a, with a lot of uh, in-depth life experience. Uh, You know, the right time has to come, I think.
0: Yeah, I would love a DJ-centric episode where yeah get to learn a lot more about the dynamic of his family because I, I think you're absolutely right. It is definitely relevant to the times that we're living through now. And it's something that, it does speak to a group of people and to experiences of a group of people that don't get represented a lot, that don't get talked about a lot, that would love to see their side of the story told.
1: Um, yeah. I also think it's... um. Uh, It's really important for me when I look at um, these shows that were rebooted, and then I think of the characters that were the youngest in it, Mm -hmm. right? So every show, and I mean, if I could think of even like Full House, it would have been very different to see the Michelle character all grown up. She was the youngest, right? right? But people forget they're an entire generation that was similar to that age, right? So that story, that DJ episode is part of a generation that you would be representing that did not you know, does not necessarily get, repre- didn't get represented when they were younger in a certain way? Because the show wasn't around them, but now that they're adults, hearing that and people relating to that it won't just be because they're adults, it'll also be because they were kids with you, right?
2: Yeah, and for me, the concept of what the Midwest is, the concept of what our country looks like and what the world looks like now, most people are in interracial relationships in some way, shape, or form, right? If you really start talking about we're cross-cultural, we're in interracial relationships, their family looks a lot more like what a lot of that portion of the country and the world looks like now than it did 30 years ago when we did the show the first time. And also, I keep pitching, there's this beautiful synergy that I feel like could be useful to society from the standpoint of the little boy who had a little bit of prejudice or bias or uncomfortable feelings around someone who grew up and realizes not only was this person every bit their equal, but they turned out to be the person who was the love of their life.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, right.
2: they, like it, that growth and that change, I think it has a home that could resonate with a lot of people and might open some people who have uh blinders on maybe it would open their eyes a little bit if it came through that perspective from us
0: maybe it would start necessary conversations with people you know we don't often get to see that timeline of growth you either see somebody and it's hard to almost see and accept that growth because you look at somebody and you go well you were like this so you're always like this in my brain even if you've grown as a human being even if you've grown as a person and you've accepted certain things into your life now, I see you in that one lane, so that's the only way I can possibly see you. But I think if more stories are told about that kind of growth, then we have something to connect it to. Cause I mean, art, art speaks to life like life speaks to art. So when yeah. we see that stuff represented, we go, oh wow. Oh wow, maybe this person did change. Maybe this person did grow, maybe I grew.
2: Well, that's the thing for me, for DJ, if DJ could be a little bit of a lightning rod, particularly for people who haven't expanded their worldview as much to look around them and say, Hey, I grew up in a family that may have had some bias or some prejudgment here. Maybe I should reevaluate what are thought processes that may have been largely acceptable in the past that never should have been. And it's time for me to open my mind and look at what really is going on and start meeting people for who they are, as opposed to who someone else told me they were or who three generations ago, someone's preconceived notion was.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's really important that you brought up the fact that it's a show that's set in the Midwest, right? Like as somebody who was raised on the East Coast, um, that was part of my representation of the Midwest growing up, right? That's how I saw it. And so even myself, that the messages on that show was how I thought life was for them, right? Even if I knew that's not how I lived life. So t- taking that and spinning it on its head does the same thing right now, because it goes, this is now a representation of what the Midwest is should be talking about should how they should be changing there that show holds like a spot in what I would think is like a family in the midwest and like, a, like I think of um that and the middle kind of always feel like the same type of like show and vibe um and I feel like it, there is a chance for it like yeah, To have those conversations
2: I think it's important from the standpoint of the beauty of getting to come back and doing a reboot well and and I think Overall, we're doing it pretty well is this concept of you have a connection to your audience that goes beyond the normal television scope. You have time and space. So we have the ability to say and do things because you know our history and you have a connection to us. We can say things that other shows probably can't get away with. We could cover topics that another show wouldn't be able to be as bold or as brash about. And you can weather that storm and connect with people because you have some of that – it's like your family, right? Your family can turn to you and say things that they should never say to anyone else or out in the world. And you go, no, 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 we need to have this conversation here and figure it out, right? Or you go, no, 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 (laughs) almost like the chicken head thing. Like, you don't realize (laughs) what you're saying, right? So let me – let me clue you in, let, let me help you get woke here and figure out before you go out in the world and say something that's gonna really make you look different than, than how you really are, let's yeah. analyze these thoughts and let's have some growth. And I think
0: yeah. that
2: should be the beauty and the strength of our show.
0: It really yeah. is. I think it comes across, that, that theme comes across very much in the show.
1: Do you, I know you say uh, you're a writer, do you, have you had the chance to write on, like, um, the show, whether it was the first iteration of the reboot or, like, the Connors? now? Have you had any chance? Is that something you're looking forward to?
2: So I've pitched a lot of episodes and I've pitched a lot of ideas. Um, And bits and pieces have kind of made it in. Uh, I wrote spec scripts last year, but they kind of have their set group and kind of where they want to go, and that's Okay. So, what it's done is I've kind of pivoted with my production companies with uh, inclusive and and mutually inclusive, and we're writing the shows that I want to see. So, you know, we have a military show that's a military family. So, some of those stories for me that I am really passionate about coming from, you know, my dad was in the military, my brother was in the military, and coming from a military family, some of these stories that we haven't covered, I'm like, okay, well, there's a real place for that. And that's okay. I'll take these things over here and use these experiences in a different arena. And I think that's the beauty. You know, I pitched a bunch of shows last year to networks and, you know, we have a bunch of meetings scheduled coming up. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully, you know, again, for me, it's more about just keep doing it. Keep yeah. keep pushing the ball forward. You know, yeah. we, we get mixed things sometimes because I, you know, sometimes people say they want certain things and then you get in the room and they have a different opinion. You know, they'll tell you, we want something totally unique and we want something with a really diverse cast. And then you walk in, they're like, your cast is really diverse. You know, I don't know if this many people would be friends with each other. And I'm like, this is what my house looks like. Like this is, right. This is my life. What do you mean? You can't have people of these many backgrounds. Like most people are not one thing. Yeah, Like we got to get out of that weird mindset of trying to classify people and label everybody.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and also stop acting like we all just don't hang out together. Right. Like we just stay in our little boxes. Like we're not school children. Like we all live and work together and we hang out together and we party together. And those are the stories that aren't being told, which I think could create such an atmosphere of togetherness if there were more, if there were more representations of that story. Of like hey i'm not from your background but we've still been friends since grade school Mm
2: -hmm. a lot of times what's funny is the people people perceive you not to have a lot in common with right people assume from the outside you guys look like the odd couple whatever it is whether it be a a a romantic relationship a, a friendship relationship you know even families now you can't assume when you walk into a group that you know who's related to who because it just isn't that way. And yeah. it's so funny because we have some of these still storylines <laughs> where we have these preconceived notions of what a family is supposed to look like or what business partners are supposed to look like, or, you know, what friends look like. And the reality is if your friends all have one thing in common, you guys are probably pretty boring together. And you probably <laughs> you probably haven't gone very far in your life, right? Yeah, like right. probably haven't explored anything because right. who wants to eat the same kind of food every day or Talk about the same thing. Like My friends are really varied because they're all into things that are different than me and they bring different aspects to my life. Right.
1: And I mean, even if you do happen to, some people, you know, never leave their town and that's okay. But even if you do happen to be one of those people who's still friends with your childhood friends, and so that is why you look um, all look the same and you all know the same thing. That's the reason why the inclusion matters on television because then the representation is there. Then they learn on that show what a chicken head means. Like they have that exposure so that even though in their particular life they might not, um, you know, live that experience or have access in, in any way, it's somewhere. It's, you know, it's, I think music does that to some degree already, but Hollywood hasn't fully embraced that ability. Like you said, the idea of like a group could look Like many different people many different walks of life and you don't know who the audience is that it will resonate with because a human story is a human story like something people
2: relate to is human that's that's our thing is I'm about authentic storytelling from a really unique perspective that is inclusive because the reality is we build communities in our life so I'm always looking for talented people I don't care what they look like I don't care what their background is I I don't care what their orientation is I don't care about any of those classification boxes because the truth is two people who come from completely different backgrounds may be in love with the same goofy things or the same amazing things maybe you know I love gangster rap and like 90s hip-hop and and things like that I I'm, a, I'm an athlete. I was a baseball player. You know, I, there, I have so many different things that I do, but I spent time in tactical situations with military personnel and law enforcement, right? So how do you classify that? And how do, you, how do you come together with all that? Simple. You like people for being people and you expect people, the evaluation should be, are they a good person? Do we have a good time together? And what do we do? Because- If you really meet people and sit down, you find out you got a lot more in common. It's not what we look like. It's not, you know, there's a lot of things that are the same as, you know, if you come from a big Italian family, you have a lot in common with a Hispanic family that has, where you might both be Catholic and you both have big family gatherings where people are loud and playful and joyful and, you know, you center around the kitchen and everybody comes in you have way more in common than you may have perceived from the outside. You probably fit better there than if somebody said, Oh, well, you know, you got to go over here with this group. Like I hate, right. I hate the, the definitions always drives me crazy. I, I like people. I I'm not about classification or separation. I think people do that way too much at a convenience or fear.
1: Yeah,
0: no, and it definitely it separates us. That's all it does is further separate us. It doesn't, you put yourself in your own little box to keep yourself
2: separate from everybody else. Right. Yeah. Right. We don't always agree on things with our spouses. I know. I know. Comedy's full of, right? How, yeah. how often do you talk about your husband and this and, and that, right? Like, several jokes about him. You're right. And and I always used to tell people, and it's always one of my favorite things. Like, I work with teenagers and I coach kids. I'm like, you got to figure out what your deal breakers are. Like, like the little stand up I did. That's all I talked about was deal breakers because it's different. And then you'll meet somebody that normally that would have been a deal breaker. You're like with them, you're like,
0: nah, I
2: can put up with that. <laughs>
0: like, you're yeah. like, you know what? I'm not such a deal breaker anymore. Yeah, like, like that, I, I'll, I'll give it for that person. It was like, what are your deal breakers? I was like, don't sleep with nobody else.
2: <laughs> yeah, let's keep let's keep it straight and simple, right? Like,
1: yeah,
0: like that's my deal. Breaker. True.
1: Well, yeah. it's like that's your that's your limit. That's your boundary. Yeah
0: like that's I about, that. You know, it's, I don't care if you chew loudly anymore or, or snore. None right. of those are deal breakers anymore. Like, yeah. you know, life experience
2: changes your deal breakers as well. But they're always they are there. Right. Well, with a baby, as long as somebody's sleeping, you don't care if you snore. Because at this point, you're like, if we get twenty minutes, we're yeah. taking the twenty minutes, right? <laughs>
0: Cat nap real quick and wake up like I slept it for years. Yeah. I will wake up like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, thank God. Thank God we got 20 minutes.
2: I'm always like, people always in movies, everybody wakes up and looks all good. I'm like, especially when you have kids. Oh, God. Yeah. If you woke up and you got drool running down your face, you probably are the happiest you've been in a long <laughs> time. <laughs> There's, a messy
0: bun. There's a knot of hair here. Yeah. I've got a crusty t shirt because I haven't had a chance to shower. lately. <laughs> Ladies, motherhood's
1: amazing. So I have a a question. We saw the other day, like recently, you guys posted your first um, group picture for like um, season three. And I, you know, I also love the fact of the creativity behind the the mask, mask, but it being the actual like blanket. Like that was, that was really, I was like, it's either always gotta be that or what was it, the rooster shirt? shirt, That's also when you said the chicken head thing, I was like, Was it a reference to that? Like, I I thought that for a second, but um, with the new season and you guys are shooting, how's that like through COVID, production is not really, you know, happening for a lot of people. So to be in that space, like, tell us more about
2: that. Well, when we first started, we were, I think, one of three shows that were in production and the first comedy. So we really are kind of laying the groundwork for people and it's different, you know, we got arrows on the floor, and we're trying to keep spacing of six feet apart, and we're wearing masks during rehearsal, and um, without giving too much away, we are dealing with things that are going on right now, so there are moments you'll see a mask, or, or, or people will have reactions to things, because that's the beauty of what we get to do on our show, mm-hmm. we get to cover real world issues, and it's very interesting. Um, the hardest part for me is, I love the people I work with. And I love the crew like I I know everybody on our crew and I know everybody's names and and I go up and high five people and I give people hugs and um, the other hardest part for me is beyond the being isolated a little bit because of having to maintain distance, for the most part, especially with like crew that I, a lot of them I've known my whole life, not having the audience in house. Yeah, because for me, our audience is special. And when you come, a little bit like you're coming into my home in some ways, and I want to make sure you have a good time. I play host. I, You know, I want to make sure you have a good time. I want to make sure that you get everything. But also, you raise our game because we get to test things in front of you. We yeah. get to try a joke. And if it doesn't work, we have the beauty of being able to go back and replace it and do something else. Mm-hmm. So, get live feedback. That's one of the things I always love is the audience doesn't care if you are number one on the call sheet or you are the lowest person. They don't care if you have one line. They only care. Is it entertaining? And did you make me laugh? And did you deliver? Right. And so they're the greatest. They make excellence out of you. Like they're the greatest barometer of your success and how much you're connecting. And then at the end of the night, I'm kind of a rare guy because you know, when the show ended the first time I was so sad about the show ending because I was a teenager and that's, that was my comfort place. That was my safe zone. That was the place. I loved what I did. You know, when you go a long period of time and you have to build your way back into this kind of position, I knew exactly how I wanted to do it coming back. So at the end of every show, when there's an audience, I always stand there and shake people's hands and Jesus. meet people. And yeah, and I I, I try to make I mean, sure that they have a complete experience and that they understand that their participation matters, that they matter to us. Yeah. Um, and security usually hates me for doing it. You know, security gets better and better. They get nice to me after, but because it is, it's a, it's a risk and it's a challenge, but I don't know, with my background, I don't look at it as much a risk. I'm pretty good at risk analysis. And I want to make sure that the people who come know that they're valued, know that they're part of the show and that their presence and support helps make this possible. And that I acknowledge that.
0: Yeah. I will say that just, just when you think you can't like Michael anymore, at the end of the show, he really does stand there and shake people's hands and meet people and say hi to them and thank them. And I just remember it was the end of the first show I did. And I was just like, oh, because it's like one of those things where you're like they, for the audience, that's an experience, that's, a big deal. That's, a big deal. that's an experience. They're never going to forget that you took the time to do that. As somebody oh, yeah. who's in the audience, as somebody who's a, you know loved sitcoms growing up, if I went to a live taping, and one of the cast members that I know and love was saying goodbye to people and thanking people. I would just never forget that moment. And it's, it's, yeah. it's a
2: great gift that you give people. It might be the one time you get to see us live. You know, people come from around the world. And I. it's nice with social media now because I actually listen to people's stories. So a lot of times people, by the time they come up to me, I've already, you know, done the analysis of the safety, the threat, the where are they from? What do I think this person? And by the time they get to me, there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh, you guys are the couple that's here from yeah. New Zealand. Or you guys are the people who are here who traveled from Israel for your honeymoon to come see us. That's awesome. Like, like the
1: fact are- that acknowledgement, like you, you, you humanize the experience of that, right? And I think that, it's so funny. I said this to a friend once. The thing about multicam, the thing about the traditional sitcom format, it's the closest thing you'll find to live theater. Yes. Right? In, in any and in anything on television. But that what you're talking about is also very live theater. And I'm talking small black box theater, not necessarily Broadway. Um, there is a human connection that happens with live theater. And what you're talking about is something similar. You're giving them that you give them your performance on stage. And then afterwards, there's a story and a connection. And for some people, if they're like a kid, what could get them to wanna tell stories and do what you do because of that moment, because they felt seen and heard and remembered. And like, here's this guy who's on TV, but he knew I was from Indiana. Like, that's a big deal to some people, I think. And so like, that's really awesome.
2: Well, I think it's important that we understand, even my job is to help people experience something to share experiences in real time. And if I can help you process something that was painful for you in a way that's safe, which is something that I learned through the first show, is a lot of times we were a safe place for people to explore all of the things. Like, they felt horrible about being poor, but we made them feel okay about it. Mm-hmm. They yeah. dealt with domestic violence or prejudice or you know school issues or alcohol abuse or, or any of those things.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, spanking your kid, like all of these things that we tackled. So for me, to do so and then to find humor, but I always look at it as my job is to my job is to help make people feel a little more connected and to make things a better place. I mean, same thing with the crew, right? If I see a cables getting stuck or something's going on, I'm the guy who picks up the cable and moves the cable because I'm just why not help somebody? Your job in your time here, we don't know what kind of time we get. The pandemic being, you know, the ultimate example of that is I really have always been a person where I value time and I value people and I'm not a big possessions guy. So for me, it's about making life easier or better for people as we go. Same thing with all the stories we try to tell is I'm trying to write stories that share unique perspectives that aren't the same old story or the, you know, 20th version of something or a reboot of everything else. I want people to see authentic stories that they have never seen before. I want people to explore these characters or these mindsets and think, maybe I should talk to my neighbor down the street or, Oh, I've seen somebody doing that. I wonder if they're into that. Oh, that's interesting to me. It's time for people to kind of expand and open up a little bit for me, you know, and, to that end, you know, I, I do a podcast where I've been exploring the crew during our pandemic time because I was heartbroken. All of our crew, they work week to week. You know, Actors, we get pretty good at the, uh, the lean time. We're pretty good at squirreling everything away and kind of living minimally. But crew really works week to week. And so I started this thing called Fish's Call Sheet to celebrate all of these people that nobody talks about what their job is. And they're fascinating. Everybody's fascinating. Their stories are amazing. And I laugh because I get so much wisdom out of people. Mm-hmm. And, and they'll come up with the most amazing life lessons. And it's a person that most people walk past and never ask. Yeah. You know? and, and some of that comes from, I had a real short stint of homelessness when I was young. So I do a lot of homelessness outreach. So I have a lot of charitable stuff. I do a lot of stuff with Covenant House here in L.A., it's funny how invisible you can be. And I think people feel invisible throughout portions of their life. And I think when you're a teenager, it's very easy to feel kind of like you don't fit in, like you don't, you're never gonna get it, like everybody else knows where they're going and you're not quite sure. But a lot of us, the most interesting people I know are the people who didn't have the
0: roadmap all laid out. Yeah. The People had to figure it out as they go along.
2: Yeah. and Yeah. You, you mentioned something, Kevin, about being seen. People want to be seen. I, I think, you know, a, a really close friend of mine uh, that Gina worked with, Mylan Robinson, always talks about seen, nurtured, and safe, right? Like those are her three. And then a producer always talks about strong, calm, and kind. So I try, those are my kind of my tent poles for my life really at this point. You know, strong, calm, and kind, especially when it comes to work. And then seeing nurtured and safe when it comes to people. That's beautiful. That's, I'm saying. That is yeah. really
1: beautiful. Well, yeah, I know. No, I was going to say it is. It is. Because, like, those things, they're so simple, but it's so complicated for so many people because we don't live in a world that, like, encourages that. Not really. Like, I think we encourage that for children. And then there's just a point where it stops. You know what I mean, and I'm not really sure what that point is. Probably um, adolescence during during that stage. But for people to see it, a lot of people try to like kindness is big for me, right? When people talk about understanding kindness, whether it's to others or even to themselves. But I'm I'm even big on just if you're kind to yourself, you're going to be kind to other people because it's it's like it's like energy for me. It's like you're gonna that light you put in is the one you're gonna want to put back out, right? I think that's
2: amazing. Yeah, I, I, that's, for me, it's this really interesting thing of, I think the teenage that like middle school, 12, 13 is like the height of meanness, having worked in education for a while, and then I worked at high schools. Then you start to get to the other side where people start to kind of group up and figure out. But the thing that I would tell you most people lack is we all talk about empathy and we, we talk about kindness and for me i think it's vulnerability mm-hmm. it's the willingness to say hey i don't have the answers and be vulnerable and let somebody call you oh you were dumb yeah i was dumb in that moment because i didn't know mm-hmm. and i really try through social media it's really hard because i actually try to have conversations with people people don't want to have conversations they just want to yell at me or be trolls or whatever and i'm like okay that's fine like if that if this is what you need send it this way cuz I can handle it. I grew up my whole life with people saying stuff. So, but it's interesting. Cause I, I think we, you get hurt a few times in life. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And I
2: think what happens for most people is you have to get thicker skin. Your family tells you, well, you, you know, you shouldn't have told that person as much as you told them early on, or you yeah. shouldn't have said this. And you have a couple of those experiences and you start limiting what you tell people for good reason then you start meeting people and dating people and it doesn't always work well. And you're vulnerable with somebody. And early on, people are just bad at relationships. To be honest, people aren't young and they're not ready. So now you have this other dynamic of, okay, I was vulnerable and I got hurt. So what we do is we start trying to be this version that is safe and protected. And so I try really hard in my work and I try really hard, especially through social media of admitting when I have a bad day, admitting when it doesn't go well, being that guy who says, man, I failed big time today. And it sucked because you don't see that everybody's Instagram story is their highlight reel. And I want some 13, 14 year old, I can't tell you the number of horrible messages I get, or, you know, if you look at my Twitter, you know, I, I talked to a guy a couple of weeks ago who was getting ready and tried to commit suicide. And it's like, first of all, the fact that my opinion matters to him is in one sense silly, but is in another sense for me a responsibility, right? Like, so I got to be careful about what I say, because, you know, if I needle this person, I may be the thing that pushes them over the edge and a family may lose somebody because of it. Yeah. But the flip side of that is it also means I got to be vulnerable enough to say, hey, I have dark days, too. Everybody has dark nights of the soul. The darkest people who have it the toughest in my experience have been my stand-up comedian friends. You know, oh, yeah. they're the ones, you use it in a different way.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely, there's so, there's so much darkness in comedy. Even some of the more light-hearted comics that you would see that are very goofy and silly, off stage when you talk to them are often some of the darkest people. And it's yeah. because we've always dealt with, from a comedian's perspective, we've always dealt with trauma and darkness with humor. That is the way that we protect ourselves, that is part of the wall that we put up, is that humor. That is part of the way that we don't let ourselves be vulnerable. Our vulnerability, if you can see through the veil, is when we're on stage. That's as vulnerable as it gets. That's the only place we feel confident enough to be vulnerable, is on that stage, where you'll see, we'll tell stories. And if you really know comedy, like sometimes I'll see a comic on stage and I'll be listening to their story and I'm just like, Everybody else is laughing at this story. And I'm like, I want to talk to them after this. Like, I'm, really, right. I'm going to sit with you and talk with you.
2: Yeah, and, and because you know. Yeah. And, and Gina, you're great at this of, of finding very relatable things, but then putting your spin and your tweak on it, right? And, and sharing your, your unique perspective. And it's so funny because on stage where people come knowing that they're supposed to laugh, it's fun and it's funny. But like I always say when I'm writing, comedy's usually not funny to the person who's going through it yeah. And so when I write a comedy, a lot of terrible stuff happens to the main character in almost every comedy. It's yeah. funny to everybody else who gets to watch and doesn't have to live with it. They don't have to live with that horrible, embarrassing moment where the person you've had a crush on forever you're horribly embarrassed in front of them or the person that you think is supposed to be your romantic partner you do something terrible unintentionally, right? Like it was the best plan in the world and it went horribly wrong. And now this person doesn't want to talk to you.
0: Anytime I see that in a movie or a show, it's always the point where I'm like, all right, I have to walk away now because I'm feeling this right in my soul. Like I'm I'm like, oh, that awkwardness, that, you know, that let down, you know, for the eventual victory or whatever comes after it. But just that moment right there is always so painfully real where it's like, oh, well, we've, we've all been through that. But speaking of your social media, which I'm glad that you brought up because we did, we did our, our uh, stalking, as, as right. usual. And you, I mean, I love what you post on social media. And you posted this a few days ago. You posted, a hero's journey is universal. Heroes come in all genders, races, ethnic, ethnicities, orientations, backgrounds, and paths. We need to listen to each other we need to hear new stories experience new heroes share new perspectives and find shared connections this is why inclusion matters now i I love that absolutely love that like how would you say that you've seen things change or not change since the start of your career regarding perspectives and inclusion and everything
2: well i was really lucky i worked in a really diverse um, workspace and i have watched this transition so from being predominantly male to being a much more, um, I, I don't even want to say gender in gender equality from, from the point where we almost gender is irrelevant in a lot of cases. And some people, we don't even know what their gender are. And that's perfectly okay. Cause that's the place we should be getting to is, you know, it's funny. We, in our companies, we have these conversations all the time is, and, and our policy is we look for talent we look for uniqueness and we look for a strong perspective. I don't care what the person looks like. You know, you'll never find anything that we're going to hire anybody that has a, you know, what's your background. Like, I don't want to know your background. I don't know, want to know your ethnicity. Why does it matter to me? I'm here to evaluate your work and your talent, right? I'm not here to evaluate what you look like when you show up. And so I think I was really lucky because I got to see that before a lot of society from, whether it be tattoos and piercings and things that started to become mainstream. I saw them earlier because we're in a creative field and all the people who work behind the scenes are every bit the artist that the people you see on screen are. Right. And so, you know, going through the eighties being late eighties, early nineties, and living through kind of the AIDS epidemic and losing friends and coworkers Um, And then I have the blessing of having started at six years old. It's a blessing and a curse because the group of people that were around me were so much older than me that I got to watch essentially people's whole life paths. I got to watch their whole hero's journey. I got to watch people who were at the end of theirs. I've watched people retire. I've been to more funerals than I can count because the people that I knew who were my friends were 30 and 40 years older than me. Those were my peers. Yeah. And so the joke at ABC when I came back this time around is I'm the youngest dinosaur because (laughs) I remember what it was like when there were only four channels. I remember before Fox became a major network. I remember and the business has moved a lot and it's changed in a lot of ways. You know, streaming has given us access to things. Um, I'm a little dismayed by some of the package deals because it reminds me a little bit of the, the studio system that used to exist where people yeah. decided who was going to get to work and how much. Yeah. But I also feel like if you're a creative person, we have so many more outlets now. Yeah. What I fear is I'm not a big fan of we go, okay, well, this network is this. That's all they do, right? Because it gets boring at some point. And I'm, I'm trying really hard to give people the patience of understanding. I don't want all the good people who've been in this business a long time to lose their jobs or suddenly get pushed out because they're part of the old guard. But there's space to bring in new people and new people, new voices have to come to the front. One, for us to represent society because society, society isn't where it was 40, 50 years ago, thankfully. Mm-hmm. But we're also not as far as we wish we were. And I think that, Our industry leads in some ways and is a bit of a mirror for society.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, We have better gender equality, but we're not there yet.
0: Um,
2: For example, it it kills me. We never talk about the fact that my female uh, peers show up hour to two hours, three hours, sometimes longer for hair and makeup and for prep, but get paid for the same day or expected to do their scenes later in the day or we I mean, don't really ask men we're starting to ask men to do you know partially clothed scenes or or to be eye candy on the screen but that used to be primarily you know done to especially young women
0: yeah. and
2: then ageism i think we're getting better about ageism cuz we're starting to see people get older but we're using a lot of the same people we need to be opening it up it's hard for me cuz look, I want to work all the time. So I'd work every day of the week on every show that would hire me. But we also need new voices and new faces. Right. And and that's hard, you know, and I think when we say things like it's a, it's a, this group show, we do such a disservice to the creative people who work on the show and to the nature and the tone of a show that we define it based on what we perceive to be the category of which either the creator or the lead comes from. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, because, you're boxing it.
2: Yeah, and you're, and you're limiting the reality is being young and coming up in the world and finding your way in the world is hard. It doesn't matter necessarily what your background is. It's going to paint your your experience, right? And we have to also be conscious of it's not all the same experience. You know, I I hear this thing about, you know, privilege doesn't exist or, or all these stances that people are taking because I think people are a little uncomfortable by what's going on in the world is if you never had to have the talk with your kid, you don't understand what it's like to be profiled. And I say Mm -hmm. that as a person who used to work as a bounty hunter and used to take people to jail and had to look at people's files and has family and friends who work in law enforcement that I love, who are great people and of every background. But to say that people are always treated the same, you're being dishonest because if you've never been a car that got pulled over because you were either what was perceived to be the wrong background in too nice a car or in the wrong neighborhood, then you just haven't had that life experience and you need to listen. Like I was saying in that, that tweet is you need to be listening to what people's real experiences are. Yeah. If, if any of the chaos and all of the police brutality stuff has taught us anything is everybody's watching and there's still new videos all the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, George Floyd, Garner, Blake, uh, Breonna Taylor, like all of these cases, you can tell me about backgrounds. You can tell me about police records. You can, none of that justifies what occurred. And I think we have to do this fine line. The police have a super tough job we have to honor and protect our good police, but we also have to do a better job of identifying people who behave in an inappropriate way and abuse their power and authority Mm -hmm. and find a way to get them out of these positions of authority. And that's true in our business too. And that's what the me too movement was. And it continues to grow, but we've gotten real quiet about it. And I, you know, I worry because We like the hashtags and we like the statement. What I don't hear enough in our society is the last civil rights movement was moved by people who talked about civil disobedience, people who had police records for standing up for others. Mm -hmm. That's an honorable reason. You know, look, I work as an actor. Could I get a police record? Yeah. So if I want to go protest that I have that right, because my my job probably isn't going to fire me for it most of the time
1: most of well, it's, the
2: time, hey, well, the time. Hey, yeah I got it yeah I mean within reason but yeah the flip side of that is you know if you're an accountant or you work for a lot of regular businesses you don't always have the option to speak up and say the things or you perceive that you don't have the option to say these things yeah right. you have to fear part. yeah and it's inherent you fear you gotta you gotta pay your bills you gotta take care of your family so in our business we've come a long way um but like I said, I still go to meetings sometimes and people look at me and say, well, what do you know about that? And I'm like, well, my dad was born in China and grew up in Israel and then came to the United States. I, I don't know everything I am. Like 23andMe would just send my sample back and say, we're not really sure what to do with you. And, and I'm okay with that because it was good for me as a kid because to get teased because my dad was from China as a kid, right? Like to have people say these things gave me better awareness to live in inner cities and to be in the car and end up sprawled out on the hood of a car for riding in a car totally innocently because someone perceived that we were in the wrong car or the wrong neighborhood. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Like if you've never had these experiences, you can't tell other people what it's like or how to deal with them. And I think that's the part where we've hit the crossroad is not being willing to listen to each other's experience, not saying, oh, okay, tell me more about how you feel and what you feel and what you experienced. Okay. Now, how do I help you fix that? How do I stand with you? How do I be your ally? You're not giving anything up by empowering other people. Right. Like, like like that's the part I don't understand is
0: using your, your, your voice or your voice to help somebody out like to help out a group of people that have been voiceless for years yeah
1: the thing is that even just like let's just say you can't um physically contribute anything whether it's monetarily or you may not have a platform whatever the case is but even just that ear that you gave right that ear and that that understanding that you gave that person is what then you the person was listening you you're going to go to the next person and that's the conversation you're putting forward. And then they talk to someone else that in itself is an action. That's something. And that's what people don't realize. Just listen. Right. And I mean, even in the industry, a lot of it is just listen. Don't make any assumptions. Don't make any assumptions. Even about the, when you, even people who mean well, when you want to create an inclusive environment, just listen first. Right. Maybe there's something you're missing. Maybe there's something that you're not missing, but you're not getting completely correct. The worst is also when people assume that everybody has the same experience because they're in a specific, like you said earlier, category or whatever. It, it, I think that's where people get exhausted because then they, it's kind of twofold. On one end, they go, oh, but everybody's so different. So there's the exhausting part, right? Do I have to listen to everybody? And it's like, I mean, you don't have to, but you're part of the problem. And okay. you're admitting that in not trying to listen. And that's, okay.
2: you know, I, let's just admit it. If that's the mm-hmm. case, just admit it. Yeah. Well, that's that's the part of it too is, okay, so diversity in the writer's room in particular is a big topic right now. Well, I always have a diverse writer's room, so I always feel like that's an advantage for me. But here's the problem. The problem is if you just hire people and then you only turn to them and ask them questions when you think it pertains to them or the one character they're writing, no, 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 no. Just because you hired them because you're Hired them for a minority perspective doesn't mean they don't have jokes about everything else, doesn't mean they don't have stories about everything else. They had jobs, they had opportunities, they grew up, they went to school, they had life experiences mm-hmm. that maybe every bit as valid or more so right. than yours. And this is where it gets bad is where you know, when you know, you, you know, Randall said to me, he goes, You know, I was at a long time, I was the only black person in the room. Said, and they would make a joke, and then they would immediately turn to me, like, "Is that joke okay?" But nobody wants to be the spokesperson for a section of society because I don't encapsulate everybody in society.
0: Right, to me, right? I, I don't know. There might be somebody at home that's offended by it. There might be right. somebody that's upset by it. But to me, yes, in this room right now, to me, yes, I chuckled. It's funny,
1: right? And so you see, it also speaks to what you said earlier. Maybe the people in that room who don't know if the joke is funny should be listening more to the world so that you know the answer. You don't have to look at me. You already right. know. Y'all knew y'all knew why y'all thought it was funny and y'all knew why it's not funny. So let's or, move on. Right? you asking case. me?
2: Chances and are you if you're me, asking me, is this joke okay? Yeah, it's probably you're probably not, right? right you probably because- already knew. You're looking for me to validate yeah. and then here's the problem and this is the problem that a lot of my friends especially from very diverse backgrounds find themselves in is you, you finally fight your way into the room. And then they only look at you for that, or they look at you, but you now are uniquely aware of the situation is if I'm honest with you and I tell you that this joke doesn't work and you're my boss, is there going to be a consequence later? And what's the outcome of this going to be? So now You're forcing people into this really subversive, socially and racially repressive situation of like you kind of have to go along with this thing that you're clearly not okay with. But if you want to work here, yeah, right. And then we're gonna hide behind you when people come to us and say, "How could you guys say that?" And they go, "Look, we have one one of these people in the group. Like the fact that you say these people, you
1: already know you're an idiot. Like right." Well they've given them they're looking for the permission. this person yeah. gave us permission. we yeah. forced their hands <laughs> right. to give us permission, but then now because of social media, you don't even they don't even understand the full implications that that person has now so not only were there was their hand forced, secondly, now they have to take responsibility for being the person who gave permission and then third, they're gonna take the wrath of the community that was attacking by going. But why'd you give the permission? So it's like there's no winning for that one person who fought their way into that room. Yeah. That's the problem that that one person then goes, I don't know what to do in this room.
2: So it's then, not anymore. Quiet. And mm-hmm. what happens when they're quiet? We lose the representation and we lose the inclusion. Inclusion mm-hmm. only works if you're empowered, mm-hmm. it only works if we actually include you in the conversation and include your experience. That's what inclusion <laughs> means. Yeah. Checking boxes is not the same thing and yep. that's we're moving in the right direction, but, and it's not just our business. It's every business. It's society as a whole, right? We keep talking about these laws, but right about the time we get close to really having them, passing them or applying them, we go, mm, you know, well, it's always been this way or it'll cost us much money. Or like, yeah. I hear people all the time get mad because, well, it was a riot. Well, no, usually it was a protest. Now there are people who go out and abuse that and do devious things or, or destructive things, but why is it that we're more worried about a lost car or a lost piece of property than we are about the people who lost their lives?
1: Right. No. Yeah. Well, you, it's, it's, and it's clear, yeah. like, um, deflecting, you yeah. know what I mean? You can, and then it's, it literally is, we're living in a society that's constantly questioning our intelligence. You're going, wow, like, did you really think we were that dumb? It's
0: really that we were going to fall for that. We or, gonna, yeah. how
1: many people are that dumb? I'm sorry,
0: but I've really been questioned. A lot, that. apparently. A lot, because it gets done to us all the time. So people are falling for it left and right.
2: Well, that's the hard part. And that's the hard part when we're, when we're writing new projects, right? What you hear a lot of times is, Oh, be bold, be daring, be different. And then the first question they turn to you and ask when you pitch them is, So what's it like? What if I was gonna compare it, what what is the show like? And you're like, well, if I write a show now and I was gonna and I'm writing a show about young people coming of age, right, in New York City. I'm I'm doing something along the lines of friends. Okay, you can compare it to friends, except the reality is friends didn't encompass what most of us go through yeah mm-hmm. and and <laughs> they rarely had a job i'm not knocking the show it was a great no. show especially at the time period right but that's not the new york i've spent time How in
0: could they afford so much coffee
2: right they're always- How
0: they afford to be at the coffee place in the middle yeah. of
1: the
2: afternoon right like, like the rest yeah. of us were out hustling wow. <laughs> and i and i was like there's no diversity in new york city like yeah like yeah like like and again all of those performers were great and during that time period it worked yeah but if I'm writing that show now it should look and feel different and the joke should be different and what's acceptable as a joke is different now right I hear hear people all the time and Gina I'm sure you you tackle this in in comedy all the time is everybody's like well everybody's too sensitive I'm like hold on slow that bus down for a minute maybe people weren't sensitive (laughs) enough for a really long time.
0: Yeah.
2: Because, yes, we should be able to joke. And, yes, we should be able to joke about our lives and our experiences. But time out. We, there, we all know certain jokes are not okay. Or we know it's not okay to run up and show your personal parts to people in a public space. Like, How do that's, you think
0: my husband? Oh, no. No, nothing. <laughs>
2: no. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, and then people are like, I can't, I've been doing it for 20 years. I can't believe someone's angry now. I'm think, I always think my first response is what horrible people let you get away with that for 20 years.
0: Yeah. And what people like, you were doing this and just didn't stop you because they were either afraid of you or because they were afraid of the power they perceived you to have. Cause a lot of it is the perception of power, especially yeah. when yeah. we're, you know, talking about cases that we've had in the, you know, in the industry and the Me Too movement and everything. We're talking about perception of power. I perceive that you can ruin the career that I love, that you could possibly pick up the phone and my career is done. And it was a scary position to put somebody in. Now, there's people on both sides of the fence. There's people who'll be like, well, I don't care about this damn career. I'm not going to let you disrespect me. I'm not going to give up my dignity. And then there are people that are like, I worked so hard for this. And if it was taken away from me, I don't know how I would even exist as a person. And both people, nobody's wrong in that situation. They're two different reactions to the same situation. I think the subject that's not being talked about is why do you feel like you can't speak up in the first place that's what needs to be discussed not how you handled it but why do you feel that you can't speak up in the first place how you emotionally process something that's on you right well the thing is we're not we're not encouraged to question power
1: no straight in any form in any industry in every industry in every structure that is the worst thing you can do question, question. someone in power and not only that then figure out who actually has the real power. Because once you figure that out and that's the direction everybody's looking in, that's where, um, to me, that's where a revolution starts. But that's yeah. also when, um, and I'm going to say this very frank, shit gets crazy because yeah. the, the window's open. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why you have to keep people um, questioning their intelligence
2: because you well, never look at the power. You're you right. Know? And I always tell people, societies, groups, businesses, whatever it is, they all have to change from the bottom up. Because the the people at the top are already invested in that power structure. Yeah. Our business has this beautiful ability of we can bring new people in all the time. We can share new voices all the time. So, you know, we're always looking for new voices. And I always think that that's a huge advantage. It's funny, though, you know, going back to the civil rights thing, right? There's a reason we lost all of our leaders in the civil rights movement, if you look at it, right? Because as it got... A, became a movement. And as it got scary for people, people, it hit the fan. Like you said, Catherine, it, it, it got ugly. And people, yeah. people literally paid the ultimate price. And that's also the point for me is someone else already paid that price.
1: Yeah.
2: So for me, I, I'm in the first group Gina mentioned is I'm the guy sometimes even at my own detriment will say, no, no, I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with this person being treated that way. I'm the person who goes, no, 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 we're not going to do that here. Or, And it's cost me work. It's cost me time. It's cost me opportunities in certain places. But I also – there's two parts to it. I live pretty basically, so I, I'm built to kind of withstand some of the ups and downs. But the other part of it is – I'm just wired from the standpoint of I'm okay with losing that to stand for the people that I believe and what's right. Because for me, if my career over the next 10, 15, 20 years, right? If you don't see a bunch of shows or movies or topics that come out of my production company that have unique voices that aren't minority led, that aren't diverse casts, then I, even if I was successful and we got stuff made, we failed, we failed miserably. If I don't bring new faces, new people along, then what good is it? I've been in this business for over 30 years already. If it's all like it was 30 years ago, then we can just all watch reruns or get on Netflix and Hulu and, and go back in time and just sit in a world that doesn't exist anymore.
0: Right.
2: What good yeah. is that?
0: <clears throat> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, we have a a segment of the show our last segment of the show this has been so amazing thank you so much for everything this wonderful
2: (laughs) conversation hopefully I didn't take us off the rails no
0: no no No. not at all no this was great Um, so the last segment of the show is our Dear Gina segment where people write into the show and we give them advice essentially sort of like a Dear Abby but a more Puerto Rican-y version Uh, (laughs) uh, and so I'll take a stab at this I'll read this Dear Gina and then we will give everybody our socials and sign off. So, dear Gina, is it bad that I forget to tell my wife I love her? I do love her, of course, but she says I need to say it more. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's bad that you forget. I, I often am a person that forgets that people need to hear that all the time. Um, some people need to hear it all the time. Some people need to hear that just that affirmation, whether you show it in your actions or not, they just need you to say those words. I don't think it's bad. I think um, it opens up a conversation between you two of her needs. And so I would just listen to what she needs. And it's a, I mean, it's as simple as getting on the phone with somebody and, and when you get off, like, hey, I love you. Like, all right, that's it, I love you. Just throwing it in here and there extra. I don't think it's uh, a bad thing though that you forget. Um, but I'll throw it to Michael now, see
2: what you have to say. Uh, Any, should uh, I let Catherine go first? Maybe I should let Catherine <laughs> go first. Okay, okay. first. Uh,
1: so, for me, I mean, I'm, I'm a believer in languages of love, right? And I understand that um, your language of love is someone else's. So if you're in a partnership, you do have to understand your language of love. And for this person, it's clearly words of affirmation. So I uh, they're telling you, this is how I need to be loved. In that sense, it's not bad they're communicating. But... um awareness and understanding each other is really important as well. So they also need to understand where you're coming from. There's many reasons why somebody might not do something not always forgetting, sometimes they didn't grow up in a household where they were constantly told, I love you. So it's not something that's like, you know, in because I have friends who will be like, love you at all times. But like, with me, I didn't grow up with that, like my family said, I love you, but it wasn't every single day in every single moment. So for me, it was even a kind of weird to say that for sound, to sound people, but it wasn't personal. It wasn't that there wasn't love there. So under, they need to understand maybe that's your reason. Um, another thing is how genuine it will sound because they could force you that, right? So now, cause then it's like, oh, I'm gonna go to the store, wait, I love you. See, that's just not natural. At what point are then they gonna criticize that, right? So there's, I, I don't look, I, I just don't like looking at things as bad and good. I think just understanding where they're coming from and why they need that, and then you communicating where you come from and maybe why you're not you know, so privy to saying, I love you so much. Now having a conversation.
2: All right, I'm gonna give my two cents on relationship advice, which is always worth what you <laughs> paid for it. Um, <laughs> so in this case, it comes free. So therefore, take it for what you want. Uh, I would say the first thing is how people say I love you is different for everybody. And I think this is, is, Catherine, especially what you were saying, but in general, all three of us are saying this is you got to find out what your love language is, but also find out what you do that shows love. And then you need to ask your partner, what do they think love looks like? Mm-hmm. Because that's where the, the cross divide usually comes or, or the crash comes is one person's doing a lot of things for the other person and the other person may be very verbal. The other part is the secret to relationships really is unexpected gifts at unexpected times. So not because it's a calendar day, not because the rest of the world says Valentine is the day you're supposed to get people stuff. And I'll just give it to you, Frank, I've been in great position where I had a great job and I've been dead broke multiple times in my life. So here's the secret. If, if your partner needs to hear, I love you, go to the 99 cent store, go buy a bunch of cards Take a few minutes and sit down once a week, once a month, once every month and a half. Don't make it exactly like on the same day because you'll get caught, but (laughs) you know, you got to mix it up, but send people notes. Um, My daughter and I leave each other notes. It's the way that we communicate. My son and I, it's purely about doing things and making sure things are done. He's a nonverbal person. So, you know, Hey, I know you had a big game. Like when he was younger. Okay. I know you had a big game. Here's the stuff for the game. Or, Hey, I know you guys are playing this, this team next week. Here's a scouting report on that team and who to look for. And here, here's, I I did some pre-work for you. Right. It's a different kind of love, but the biggest thing that you have to realize is I love you is only as valuable as the person who says it to you and what they mean. And Catherine touched on this is the authenticity of what that means to that person. Yeah. We've all heard, I love you from somebody who didn't mean it.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. And
2: and we've all had people in our lives probably who almost never say it. That mean everything to you. Yeah. So what it really has to be about is maybe, maybe this person needs you to say it, but you got to come up with your authentic way of saying it. If right. it's in a card, if it's in a note, if it's in balloons, if you've got to write it in the sky because you've got extra cash and you want to pay somebody to do it and you want to go big, whatever it is, it really is about finding your authentic way and telling people, and this is where I love you gets scary, is I love you is a vulnerable thing. Mm. It's easy for me to tell somebody I love them, because I've lost enough people that I, I will walk up to you and I will hug you and I will tell you because I don't want to miss the opportunity. But that's my baggage, right? Mm-hmm. So the flip side of that is somebody else may have heard I love you every time their parent walked out the door before they left their family. Right. And they may associate it with something terrible. Or I know somebody who was married, whose spouse passed away. And every day that person said I love you and that in their mind is right about the time they said, I love you back is when that person passed away and they think if it gets too perfect, it'll all go terribly wrong.
0: Yeah.
2: You've got to talk to your partner. Only that person can tell you, if you love somebody, then you got to figure out how to love them because they're wow. not the same as anybody else in the world. Right.
0: Right. So beautiful um that was well put i loved it um michael tell everybody where they can find you on uh, social media
2: well you can find me at real r-e-e-l m fishman at any of the social medias or fish's call sheet um fish like the beginning of my last name f-i-s-h uh s call c-a-l-l-s-h-e-e-t so either one of those you can get a hold of me
0: Nice, catherine tell the lovely people where they can find you Cause I have a question: Is it on all
1: streaming platforms,
2: or is just pretty writing? much pretty much everything?
1: Yeah. Awesome. Um. So, uh, my handles. God, I I'm really bad at this. I'm gonna start just like writing it and showing it to people. That's what I do on my videos because I
2: like I I'm terrible at saying it. So. Oh my
1: god, and it's my name, so that's the worst part. <laughs> um, on Instagram is at Catherine G Mendoza. That's at K a t h e r i n e G dot M e n z o z a. She really likes it when I spell it out.
2: Um, you have a rhythm when you do it, that? There, I do. there, there <laughs> is, and I'm like, and and you know, of course, with Gina because she has rhythm. She is on the rhythm. So between the two of you, I was like, oh, I like this.
1: <laughs> I do. I I think I think I've done it enough that I just know how to say my name in a certain rhythm. Um. Then on Twitter, it is at Kathy Grace. That's K-A-T-H-I-E-G-R-A-C-E-2-4.
0: I was going to say, don't forget the 2-4. I know your hands I know. are better than you. Um, <laughs> so you, guys, you can find me at G. Brion on Instagram. Everything else is Gina Brion. I'm on TikTok at G. Brion 80. TikTok has been very fun, so I'm enjoying it. Uh, the website is GinaBrion.com. You guys can check out The Floor is Lava on Amazon. Or recently, the hot comedy festival that just came out. I was pregnant when we shot that, so take a gander at some of my pregnancy looks. (laughs) And uh, focus on the shoes. They were amazing. Uh, You guys know I love to end the show with a piece of advice my mom gives me. To this day, when life throws a lot at you, handle it one catastrophe at a time. One catastrophe at a time, everybody. Thank you again, Michael. This was amazing. Thank you,
1: Michael. It was a pleasure meeting you. It's
2: a pleasure.
0: Bye guys. Bye. Uh, looking real sweet with the bite like Bailey's uh, Hands on deck, I swim in it like David. Okay. Woo. Yeah, do it like that. Yeah. You the kind of chick that's ready to fight back. Yeah. Looks damn good, but really she tight bad. Mm-hmm. Go to sleep, I call him a night cat. Night. Born killer, you a born killer, Mmm. not get him, gone go not get him, mm.